check, check. All right. All right, now I'm all set. That took a minute, sorry. If you, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to Acts chapter 2. We're going over the, the same text as last week, actually, but um, we're going to cover more of it. Just a, I, I said this last week. I could preach six sermons from this. I'm not going to, but we're not going to do every verse. But if you were to put it together with last week's sermon, we cover most of it. So that's my disclaimer at the, at the front here. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Lord, I, I pray that in your word today we would see the beauty of the gospel, that we would stand up encouraged to follow Jesus more passionately. 25 years. I remember I was sitting in a locker room in a place called the Brent Event Center uh, in my hometown in Orange County, California. Now, the Brent Event Center was a, a biggish sort of um, multi-purpose arena. And tonight, this thing was oversold by about 1,000. There was like 6,000 people, and it was a concert. There was bands, kind of, several bands, and, and uh, I was actually in the headlining band. And I was, I was sitting with my back to the lockers, I remember. I was 21 years old, and I could hear people starting to talk excitedly on the other side. Like, through these concrete walls, I could kind of hear the excitement for people, for us to go on. It was nuts. And uh, our, our, our second record had come out, and we were on Billboard and getting some radio play, and, and like this was it. I had dreamed of playing a show just like this since I was 12 years old. And if my 12-year-old self could have seen what he was doing that night at 21, he would have lost his mind. He would have been like, sweet, look at me. <laughs> sweet. My 12-year-old self had a headgear. Sweet! I'm a late singer in a band! He thought maybe with 6,000 people out there, there might be one girl that wanted to make out later. But anyway, that's what 12-year-olds think about. Rude awakening, let me tell you. We had worked hard to get to this point. This is all I had ever dreamed of. This was it. I was about to have like the, the life-fulfilling experience of, of my entire life at like 21 years old. Not bad. And so we, I remember the, the announcer, you know, announcing the group, and people were literally chanting. It was weird. It was like a movie. And I stepped on the stage that night, ready for the payoff. And after that show was over, it was the most bitterly disappointing moment of my life. I could have wept with the emptiness I felt. This thing that I had invested my entire self in. This thing that I was focused on, when I laid hold of it, all of its promise, it, it vanished. This thing that I had given myself to failed to deliver the satisfaction and fulfillment that I was so sure it would. I know that's happened to all of us. There's something that you thought once you achieve it, right, you invest yourself in it, and when you achieve it, you're going to feel like a somebody. You're going to feel satisfied. You're going to be the first person in your family to earn this level of education. And then you attain it, and you say, hmm, not how I thought I was going to feel when I got here. Or 
or you know, you're, you're going to build up your career or your business, and when you're, you're looking up at the mountain and you're saying, oh, when I get there, when I get to that position, then I know I'm going to feel like the woman, like the man. I'm going to be satisfied. And you get there, and it doesn't satisfy. Well, I'm going to get this dream house, this dream car. I'm going to get a Tesla. Those things are nice. No <laughs> argument there. I kind of want one. But you work for it, and you get it. And it, it does satisfy the soul for two days, and then not anymore. The relationship, the ideal body, whatever it is, it's always the next thing. And as soon as you lay hold of it, what's going to happen? It turns out to be a mirage. It turns out to be a phantom. But what do you do? Well, that wasn't it. It must be something else. And you set your sight and you set the desire of your heart on something else in the distance. The next achievement, the next possession, the next relationship, the next thing that's going to finally fill in that missing piece. The thing that is going to satisfy the soul. And we spend our entire lives chasing the wind. Why is that? Guys, it's because nothing in creation can do for us what the Creator is meant to do. Like if I, if I have a desire for a friend, and I don't have a friend, but I do have a ham sandwich, and I'm like, ham sandwich, fill up the part of my soul that needs a friend. Um, it doesn't work, does it? Momentarily, perhaps, the bread's toasted. <laughs> that might help, but not really. It is not going to satisfy your desire for a friend, is it? Only a, only a friend is going to do that. Now, if you have a desire for a ham sandwich, then a ham sandwich is what the doctor ordered. That'll take care of that. But what we, th this emptiness in the soul, this, these talons that latch on to any and everything in creation, what we're looking for, what they're searching for, it's not creation, but the creator. Now, you're in a church, so you know that I'm going to say that Jesus fulfills the desires of our heart. But how does he do that? Well, we're going to see in this text that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, speaks to three essential desires. A desire for a new creation, the desire for forgiveness, and the desire for meaning. New creation forgiveness and meaning. Now, we are in Acts chapter 2, and, and the Holy Spirit has shown up, and people are preaching the gospel in other languages. And so Peter gets up to give us the first sermon post-resurrection. This is the first person to stand up and say what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. And the first thing he tells them is that Jesus fulfills our desire for a new creation. Look with me at, at verse 16. But this is what was, Peter says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, 
and they shall prophesy. Now, where did I see that Jesus brings a new creation in there? Let me explain. The Holy Spirit has come. The, there's a bunch of Jews gathered around saying, what's going on? Why are all these people speaking our languages? And Peter quotes the prophet Joel saying, all you Jewish folks are waiting for the last days. And you know what signals the last days, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say last days, some of you have visions of Kirk Cameron conjured in your head. And I want to tell you, that is not what the scriptures mean by the last days. You see, they believed, and, and this, is, this is, if you want to understand the New Testament at all, you have to understand this. If we've been through this before, forgive me, we're going to go through it again. They, they, there was two ages, the present evil age, and we could get that little slide. All right, so the present evil age is the age of injustice of, here we go, see? present evil age, from the fall of man all the way until the coming of Christ. So they believed that there was this present evil age that God was going to end and bring what's called the last days, also called the eschaton, also called the day of the Lord, also called um, the kingdom of God, also called um, the, the age to come, right? They had a lot of names for it. But this was going to be a time when God renews creation. Not when God's going to destroy the world and you've been left behind. Not that. But instead, when God makes the wrong things right. And so when Jesus came, this new, uh, the, these last days began. And they will, the, the, the present evil age goes at the same time, right? This is somewhat confusing, but think about it like this. Have you ever been at a, a party or a wedding and there's a song playing and the DJ starts a new song while that song is playing, right? You know a new song's coming in, but for a while they play together, the old and the new. And so that's the period that we're actually in right now, but Peter is telling them this long-awaited last days, this long-awaited renewal of the world, it started because of Jesus. How does this, how does the fact that, that Jesus brings a new creation, how does that speak to the deepest desires of our hearts? There's two things that every human being believes. One is the world should not be this way. The way the world is is not as it should be. Look throughout human history this is a universal belief. The way the world is is not the way it should be. And the second thing we all believe is it's always been this way. Does that seem odd to you? It, if the world's always been this way, why should it seem wrong to us? Shouldn't we expect the world to be this way? Shouldn't we simply accept it? Like, are there any other creatures out there saying the world shouldn't be this way? You know, the lion out there taking down a gazelle is like, the world shouldn't be this way. No, it's thinking, oh, gazelle, you know? Like, we, we alone feel like there's something wrong with the world. Doesn't that ask for an answer? It doesn't beg the question. That's not what begging the question is. Yes, I'm pedantic, I know. <laughs> We long for a world made right. Every single one of us. 
there are people who desire justice. They're each and every one of us have been inspired by people who make change. But here's the thing. The best we've ever done, the best transformations of the world we've seen, whether it's, it's Gandhi, whether it's the SCLC and, and Dr. King, whether it's the Clapham sect and, and, and Wilberforce, you know what they accomplished? A temporary improvement in some places. And that's not to make anything they did less heroic. Each one of us longs for a just world. Each one of us longs for the world to be made right. And we've never seen it happen. I'm going to make you even more discouraged. Our cultural moment has lots of problems. Where we live, like there, there are problems of injustice, there are problems of clearly disease, there are problems of, 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 of social problems of all sorts. And here's the other, here's, here's the kicker. Is there another place you'd rather, time and place you'd rather live? Like this is about as good as it gets. How do we explain this? That, that all of us know th this isn't how it's supposed to be. Even as good as it gets, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And it's always been this way. It's almost as if hardwired into human beings, there is an innate, an innate need for a world made right. There's, it's almost like, like there, there lives in each human being a memory of when the world was not fallen, and we know that's the way it's supposed to be. The good news of the gospel is that when Jesus came, it was the beginning of God fulfilling the promise of a new creation. You desire for the world to be made right. You desire an end to war, an end to poverty, an end to injustice. Your desire can only be fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus. And, and connecting to our longing for the world to be made right, we, when, when we, we turn our eyes to ourselves, we, we see that we're not right. There's, there's a longing in each of us for forgiveness. Uh, my wife and I once were watching a, um, a interviewer documentary with, on hip-hop, and they were interviewing Dr. Dre, big Dre fan. And, um, and they, they covered, you know, any, any biography of Dr. Dre is going to go into the fact that in, in 1991, he did something really awful. He, he assaulted a, uh, a, a woman reporter, like physically, like bad and paid the consequences, and, and, you know, he's grown and changed over the years, but they asked him about it, and you see this pain come over Dre's face, and he says, look, anyone who puts their, any guy who puts his hands on a woman is out of his mind. I, I, every time I think about it, I don't understand, I, I, and I feel messed up. He didn't say messed up, but I'm not going to curse in church, <laughs> right? Like, like, it was clear that he knew that this guilt lays on him. And he didn't know what to do about that guilt. He was sorry he did it, but all the same, he bears the guilt. Now, what are, what are we supposed to do with guilt? Because as soon as, like maybe you haven't done anything as bad as Dre, but you know, each and every one of us have things that we don't like to come above the surface. Memories of things we've done. 
dishonest things, unfaithful things. We all have guilt lurking below the surface. And, and our culture has kind of two wildly contradictory ways of approaching guilt. There's one school of thought, and these come from the same people, uh, that, that you bear your guilt, right? If you, if you tweeted something a little dodgy in 2008, you can kind of kiss your future career goodbye. You bear the guilt. Like they would say to Dr. Dre, find a hole, stay in it till you die. No more dope beats. Thank you very much. Okay? Bear the guilt. You know, you did it. You live with it forever. You are accursed. That, that's one approach. The other, and the same person will say, both bear your guilt, and they'll also say, don't judge. That's kind of our other, swinging wildly to the other side. Don't judge, just accept. Don't, you know, like you can't pass judgment, don't worry about this stuff, just accept it. And here's the problem. Both of those approaches don't work. Here's why. If you're like, well, I'll bear my guilt, great. Do you guys realize if you ever saw your actual guilt, like if it was revealed to you, not just how you've sinned against others, but how you've sinned against God, like our minds would break. We would not be able to handle it. Do you get that? If we truly saw ourselves, we, we would just, we, we would crack, plain and simple. We cannot bear our guilt. And the other, the, the whole don't judge thing, well, that might sound like a more appealing way, just don't judge, just accept. Great. Um, so Jerry Sandusky is asking you, sorry, it's just, you guys remember Jerry? Jeffrey Epstein, is that sooner? Uh, uh, R. Kelly, R. Kelly, okay, good advice. I'm just gonna accept, right? I'm not gonna judge what I've done. Who's, who is there to judge me? There's no such thing as, you know, this is just old, this is just society, not understanding. Neither one works. The hearers of this first sermon about Jesus, Peter, Peter lays out their sin to them. These were among the people who were shouting for the crucifixion of Jesus. And Peter brings this up to them. And what does he say? In verse 37, we're skipping down. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter's like, hey, this Jesus, he's the Messiah. You didn't realize it. God, God raised him from the dead, but before that, you called for his crucifixion. And they were cut to the heart. This is incredibly dramatic language. This isn't, oh, I feel kind of bad. This is, I see my guilt and I'm cracking. These guys were desperate to, to, to relieve their guilt. Now, these were Jewish people, so they, they already had an understanding of, of guilt and ethics and that sort of thing. But what does Peter tell them? Does he tell them, well, you better go prove yourself worthy? You better go do something to make up for the fact that you called for the crucifixion of the Messiah. He says, what? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does the gospel of Christ mean? What does it mean that Jesus died and rose again? It means that God offers free forgiveness of, for guilt. 
both that your sin is inexcusable and that it's excused in Christ. Jesus fulfills our desire for forgiveness. Now, now for some of you, this is gibberish. For some of you, you're not even convinced that God's super concerned about like what we do. This sin is kind of like a dirty word in our culture, that God is ultimately non-judgmental, right? And here's the thing. You don't want God to be non-judgmental. You want God to be a just judge, do you not? Do you want God to look at the atrocities of history, at what the, the Mongols did or the Nazis did or, or apartheid South Africa and be like, eh, I'm not too concerned about that. You want the, the you want the judge of all the earth to do right. You don't want a God who winks at evil. You want a God who who is not going to accept evil. Now, for others of you, as I'm talking about guilt, I'm driving you towards a panic attack because you have a very very tender conscience. But here's the thing: the good news is that this desire we have for forgiveness is fulfilled in Christ. That when Jesus went to the cross, our guilt was laid on him. That God does not allow you to bear your own guilt. If we were to apply it to our friend Dr. Dre, I wish, I, I seriously wish I could get to share the gospel with Dre of like, like, hey man, yes, your sin's totally inexcusable. What you did is awful. Make restitution any way you can. But also Jesus died for that very sin. Jesus speaks to the deepest desires of our hearts for the world to be made right, for you and I to be forgiven. But, but there's, there's also a, a real need, and I mean this as a need, a need for purpose and meaning. There, there was once a, um, a psychologist named Viktor Frankl. Anybody ever heard of Viktor Frankl? Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. I believe he was in Dachau. And, uh, and, and as a psychologist, right, like he was, he was paying attention to to kind of like, well, who, who, who can deal with the conditions here and who can't? And, and the thing that he, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the thing that he noticed is that those who had something to live for, some sort of purpose at which their life was aimed, they kind of were able to deal, like it wasn't, obviously we were in a concentration camp, so it wasn't like it was fun or easy, but they were able to pull through. And he noticed that once people would lose that meaning, they would quickly succumb to typhus or, or whatever and, and die. Like so, so there was one person who was working on a book, and when that book was seized and burned, he simply lost the will to fight on. Meaning isn't the time we conceive of a human being as a survival creature, like a creature that just needs to survive, right? This is kind of like you need food, water, shelter, and if you have those things, you're good. But here's the thing. Meaning and purpose is just as essential. This is not something we can live without. You need a reason to get up and fight your daily battle. What's it for? You need a reason to put up with the things you have to put up with. You know, I, the, even for people who love their jobs, sometimes not working at all sounds a lot better because there's a lot you got to put up with. And why? So you can pay the bills. Well, why you got to pay the bills? 
so that I can, you know, keep on going back to work. Why? So I can pay the bills. So I can raise up my kids so they can pay the bills. It's all paying bills. What's the point of that? Why? Well, I gotta, I gotta fight my daily battles. I gotta deal with my depression. I gotta, I gotta deal with my, my physical ailments. I gotta deal with the pain in my life. I gotta, why? What for? Just to keep on going without any clear purpose in mind? And, you know, philosophers used to try and help with this. You, you know, the term ethics like what it means to, ethics used to be what it means to live a good life. What's the best life to live? The most purpose-filled, meaningful life. You know, they don't even try that with ethics anymore. You know, you know what modern philosophy tells us the good life is now? It, it's, it's just don't hurt anybody. <laughs> literally, don't hurt anybody unless hurting them will make more people happy. That is literally where modern ethics is. No more, hey, how do you live the best life possible? A life imbued with purpose and meaning that counts for something. It's just, just don't cause harm unless harming is going to cause more enjoyment. It, check me on that, guys. It's true. <laughs> and then, then, like, the postmodern ethic is even worse. You ever heard this? Life has whatever meaning you give it. You know who came up with that? Friedrich Nietzsche, the father of nihilism. That's also nothingism saying there is no meaning. We, we stand above a void. You know, we are, we're the result of an accident and we go into nothingness. Do whatever makes you happy. Give life whatever meaning you want it to have. So how does the good news about Jesus, how does the gospel fulfill this desire for meaning? Well, how does the, the, the sermon that Peter gives these, these, these Jews, it tells the story of Jesus. It tells the story of God's redemption that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And you know what he does then? He invites them in. Look with me at verses 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit that's, that's, that's empowering Peter and the apostles to share the gospel right now, that's going to empower them to go and be the church, they're going to receive that. And also look at this, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He's telling them, you're being called to God. And you, just like Peter's doing, you're going to become part of the story of Jesus. That is the big picture message of Acts, is that the story of Jesus goes on and you and I are invited in. We're invited into the family of God. That's what the baptism and the promise is about. You become part of God's family. And you become part of God's purposes. You become part of what God is doing in the world. Instead of simply being about paying bills so that you can go back to work and pay more bills, the paying bills and going to work is all part of how you contribute to what God is doing in the world. 
we, be, we get caught up into the story of the redemption of God's creation. You may feel like your life doesn't matter. You may feel like your, your job is a dry, gray, pointless exercise in futility and frustration that you're locked into even though you hate it. You may be asking yourself, why do I get up and fight my daily battles? What you're looking for, what you're longing for, is for your life to matter. A purpose, a direction, that by the time that you are facing your last day, you look back and say, that was worth it. That was a life I don't regret living. How do you do that? by accepting God's call to become part of what God is doing in the world, to join his family and get caught up in the story of Jesus. So Jesus fulfills our desire for a new creation, fulfills our desire for forgiveness and for meaning. What are we supposed to do? That desire that, that you're, you can't live without your desire reaching for something, guys. It will not happen. Try it. Try desiring nothing for a while. Let me know how it goes. It's to latch your desire, to direct your desire towards Jesus, towards what he's doing in the world, to look for fulfillment in relationship with him. I found this when I tested it to actually be true. You know, I, I thought that I was on track to fulfilling my soul that night 25 years ago. Now, we went on to have a decent career as a band, but like many bands, we lost our popularity and, and couldn't make a living at it anymore. And so 10 years after that night, I was showing up to my first day as a house painter. Not my dream job. <laughs> Now, two weeks before, we had played our last show and said goodbye to the dream that I had had since I was 12. And I was not looking forward to this day as a house painter. No longer would people be impressed by what I do for a living. So I get there. I'd never painted the houses, and, and the, the foreman's just like, hey, go up the ladder. I was like, that ladder? It's like, yeah. It's like a 30-foot ladder, and I'm afraid of heights. So here I go. I didn't know what to do. I grabbed paint, I grabbed a brush, I looked at what the other guys were doing. They were painting like the underside of an awning, right? And so I'm up there sweating bullets and like, <laughs> and I painted as much as I could where I was. I was like, well, what do I do now? And I looked and guys would climb down the ladder and pick up the ladder and move it over. So I climbed down and, um, and I pick up the ladder. What am I doing wrong, anybody with painting experience? What am I, anybody? I'm holding it at the sides. How are you supposed to hold it? High, low. Why? Because as soon as you pick it up like this, you've created a gigantic lever with five feet of ladder you're holding at the bottom and 25 above and just your poor little thumbs to hold it up. And I knew as soon as I picked it up, I went, oh no. <laughs> It was literally like that. I felt this thing. I was like, no, 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 no. And this ladder starts coming back on me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And it comes just smashing down. Like that. It felt like five times, I swear. And the whole crew, I could just hear them go, oh. 
my 12-year-old self could see me then, he would have said, that must be what it feels like to be a total loser, <laughs> to have nothing, to have your dream die, and now to have <laughs> maybe the most humiliating thing possible happen on your first day of being a house painter. And he'd have been wrong again. It, I can't explain to you guys, but in that moment, I is the most fulfilled I've ever felt. I, I knew that the Spirit of God was with me. I laughed out loud, picked up the ladder, kept on painting. I didn't need those other things. What I thought was going to fulfill me didn't. What did fulfill me was walking with Christ. When the chips were down, Jesus comes through. You know how I got there? You know what I did? Nothing. It's not a matter of what I do. It's a matter of who Christ is. And it's amazing when you let go of those other things or they're not there for you to grab onto. How Jesus fulfills our desire for fulfillment. Turn your desire towards Jesus. Don't look to the things of creation, no matter how beautiful, no matter how much promise they hold out. Turn instead to Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would wake us up to this, this repeated dance step we do of, of chasing illusion after illusion of fulfillment and satisfaction, of laying our love and faith and trust on things within creation instead of our creator. Set us free from that and let us find true fulfillment. 